Okay, let's um, let's start with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your tremendous love for us. We thank you for the beauty of your creation and how intricate and complex it is. And uh, we just thank you for it. We ask that you bless us here now as we talk about microgreens, that you give us wisdom and understanding and that you give us uh, wisdom uh, to understand microgreens. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, my name's uh, Jim, and this is my wife, Lucia. Our last name is Tiffany. We live up quite a ways north in Michigan, and um, we're delighted to be here today, and uh, we're going we're gonna to get started, and I'll let Lucia take over here. Okay, um, please excuse my voice. I'm just getting over a case of laryngitis. So I hope everybody in the back can hear me. Can everybody hear me? Okay, well, I'll do my best. Um, I'd like to hear from maybe three or four of you, just really quick, one sentence. What are you hoping to get out of our seminar this afternoon? That'll help me to know what direction to go in some of the stuff we're going to share with you. Yes. You want to get an income. Okay, who else? How to grow and where to get supplies, okay? Nutritional value. Nutritional value, okay? Uh, how to grow them, what they're about. I don't want to Okay, <laughs> great. Okay, that sounds like really good. I'll take two more. I've heard they grow big, so how long? Okay, and in the back? Want to learn to grow to earn some money. Okay, so lots of really good ones. One more comment. Okay, avoiding pathogens in your microgreens. All right, sounds like some really great questions. <clears throat> um, let, we want to tell you just a little bit about kind of how we got started in microgreens. Um, we started back in 2012. Um, my mother-in-law was living with us, and I was quite occupied with elder care. And that required um, a lot of flex in my schedule, and it required me to be home most of the time. So um, we were looking for something that we could do that would help us bring in a little bit of an income stream um, because my husband works for himself, works out of our home, and we found that sometimes when you work for yourself, as lots of you know, income is not stable. You know, sometimes it's really good, and then sometimes it might not be so good. So we thought if we had a little bit something extra, that would be helpful. And we also wanted to be able to have it interact with some sort of ministry um, and not just be an income production um, occupation. So we went to camp meeting that summer and the Byron Smith family was there and did a seminar on agriculture. And we found it really interesting. And up to that point in my life, I had never heard of microgreens. Now some of you may have heard of them for many years, but I had not. And uh, so we found that really interesting. And so we looked into that and we decided that maybe that was something realistic for us to get started with. Um, we started in our home we were there for three and a half years or so, and then we relocated about a year ago. So this last year has been a year of transition for us, and um, we bought a, a different piece of property, and we had to do some remodeling to provide a place for our microgreens. We had been growing them in a garage in our first house. Um, there was a garage in the location we purchased, but it was not insulated. And we live in northern Michigan, so we had to do a quite a bit of work to get the space um, ready for our microgreens. So we spent about seven months of this last year with the microgreens occupying our master bedroom, and we slept in the guest bedroom or in the living room most of that time. So that lets you know that it's pretty versatile, and you can grow when you really don't have much space. We have a two-bedroom manufactured home. So... Um, <clears throat> this is a picture of the f uh, first garage that we turned into a growing space. Um, it was about 8 by 20, is that eight, correct? 8 by 24, and um, so things, things were really tight there. Uh, one advantage that we had going for us was that the garage was well insulated, so it was easy to put a little bit of heat in there in the winter and um, stayed pretty cool in the summer. Uh, the, the room right behind the garage had a nice window to the outside so we could get some ventilation. Uh, so it, it wasn't ideal, but, but it worked. It worked. 
You can see to the right of this picture that there's just a, a simple little sink, which was a kind of our water support source for the area. And then we have growing shelves with lights and a work table. That was basically the essence of our growing operation. I might add that the, that the discharge from the sink ran across the floor to the floor drain. So <laughs> things were a little makeshift, but we were able to, to make it work. We were able to get started, get going with a lot of capital without a lot of capital expense. Yeah, there was a question. Are you saying that the space that you needed was 8x2 or that you used was 8x24 or the garage was 8x24? The space we used was 8x24. It was a single car, part of a single car garage. Because we also had like a workbench that took up part of that room that wasn't part of the microgreen operation. This is uh, the garage at our new place. Um, it was basically a pole building uh, which if uh, some of you may know what that is, some of you may not. Basically, it's uh, uprights that, are, that go down into the ground. There's no foundation for it. It did have a concrete slab in it, but it was uninsulated. So uh, we, water and electricity. It, it did have water and it did have electricity, which was, was very handy. Uh, so what we did was um, we, um, this is the floor plan of what we what we converted it to so we have a microgreen area here this is the the roll-up garage door we added a service door here we added a, a window here five windows along the the south side uh, we, we have an office for my other business Lucia has an office here some storage space but basically this is the layout of our shelving units and um, we've, we, we do have the same sink set up in here. Um, it's a little less makeshift, but uh, um, we, we store our rice hulls and other, other uh, materials there. And um, so this is basically the setup that, that we have now. And uh, Okay, this is a picture of the inside of our new location. On the right of the right picture, you can see just a little bit of the refrigerator. We use that for keeping our harvested um, greens in. We often harvest within 24 hours of delivery, so sometimes we overnight some of the cut greens in the refrigerator. And then we have two rows of growing um, shelves, and we have um, supplies and materials there to the left. You can see the sink. Um, we have a shower curtain hung that protects the wall. Our floor is completely waterproof and has a drain in it, so that takes care of that. Um, this is a row of four shelving units. Yeah. So you're here right now. Um, do you have to have someone look after it, or how have you timed it? Because sometimes we can't get away from our businesses. We have um, a, a couple that works for us part-time, and it's been extremely valuable to us, especially this last year. We have had a number of trips where we've had to be gone, and um, we have not had to interrupt our deliveries because we've been able to have this couple trained in that does a really great job. So they covered when we went to our son's wedding. They covered when we went to uh, Restoration International for like five days. It covers us when we come here. So, Actually, um, now that Lucia's working, um, they're doing most of the work, to be quite honest with you, and we'll um, we'll... We're going to get to some financial information a little later, and we'll we'll show more about that a uh, little, little farther on. As we just go around, you can see here the sink that helps to orient you. I'm giving you kind of the 360 on the room. So we have the sink and a work table, and then we have a couple of shelving units we use for storage and for supplies and, and just things that help us to keep our operation as efficient as possible. So that's kind of a, an overview of our current growing space. Okay, so uh, just a... Uh, a couple of uh, inspirational quotes here. Um, the first one, um, out of child guidance. Uh, and in these days of mammoth trusts and business competition, there are few who enjoy so real an independence and so great certainty of fair return for their labor as does the tiller of the soil. Um, and then on the next page we read, uh, this is page 357, paragraph 1, if people only knew the value of the products of the ground, which the earth brings forth in their season, more diligent efforts would be made to cultivate the soil. All should be acquainted with the special value of fruits and vegetables fresh from the orchard 
and garden. And microgreens are a good example of things fresh from the garden, vegetables fresh from the garden. Um, let's start by talking about what is a microgreen. <clears throat> um, microgreens are technically, by definition, vegetable and herb seedlings that are grown to, in soil to the cotyledon or the first true leaf stage when they are harvested by cutting the stems just above the soil. There's some variation in what some of our customers want in terms of maturity, but that's basically the definition. Microgreens are not sprouts. And if you decide you want to do microgreens, it's very important to make that difference with your customers. Sprouts have very heavy regulation. You have to get all kinds of certifications and lab tests and all kinds of stuff if you sell sprouts. Microgreens are treated like field crops in terms of health regulations. So it's important that you um, have your customers understand that these are not sprouts that you're selling them. They are microgreens. It's a really different um, in terms of the retail uh, and regulations that are necessary. Um, let's start by talking about what are the benefits of growing your own microgreens. And one of the first ones is nutrition for your family. Um, there's not a lot of studies out there in terms of nutritional analysis of microgreens, probably because they're a newer crop. But we do have a really good study that came out of the University of Maryland, and they looked at phytochemical levels in microgreens and found that the concentrations are actually quite a bit higher in this stage of the plant than they are in the more mature leaves. And um, we know that much of the nutrition from the seed is transformed into the seedling by the time you eat a microgreen. So they're very, very rich nutritionally. They're obviously um, very high in chlorophyll. They're high in minerals, just like all green leafies are. And so they provide you with lots of health benefits. We even call one of our mixes Green Immune Boost, and people love it, because that's exactly what it does. It boosts your immune system. Um, high mineral levels are also really important. We live in a day and age when many people are not getting the level of minerals that they need for good health. It's really essential for so many functions of your body. So... <coughs> There are many ways you can use microgreens to um, enjoy those benefits. They can be incorporated into juicing. A lot of people like to juice their microgreens. Personally, I think that's a waste of the fiber myself, but <coughs> I would prefer to use them in green smoothies. Then you get the whole thing, and you're not wasting any of it. But sometimes juicing is appropriate. They're um, good in salads and sandwiches, <coughs> wraps, spring rolls, and garnishes. If you have homeschoolers, Microgreens are a great learning experience for young people. Um, it integrates well with, with many different academic areas, including math, science, biology, health, practical and vocational skills, and character development. And as we'll see a little later, um, even uh, could be beneficial in teaching uh, computer skills. Uh, the easiest crops to start with. Uh, we, we, we've got a list here, uh, brassicas, mustard, sunflowers. Um, I don't understand the popularity of sunflowers myself personally. I like some of the other more delicate uh, microgreens. But um, sunflowers are seem to be quite popular. Uh, radishes, uh, popcorn shoots, peas. And another moderately easy crop is uh, are the basils. Uh, crops that are a little more challenging in terms of how you have to set everything up. Uh, uh, beets, cilantro, fennel, herbs, and chards. Um, these, these take a little longer, uh, maybe three weeks or more, instead of the typical uh, two weeks for the other ones that, that we listed. There are two main growing systems. <clears throat> For microgreens, depending on the kind of microgreen. Can you hear in the back? No, I'm, I'm going to have to do the talking. You can let me talk. You can add to it if you need to. All right. <laughs> so um, sorry about that. Um, Lucia is kind of the main microgreen lady. It, it, you know, the, the main lady in the family doing microgreens. So um, it's unfortunate that she's having challenges here. Okay. Um, we use two different kinds of trays. Uh, we, use, we use a plug tray, which is a, a 72 cell tray. It's a 10 inch by 20 inch tray. Um, the ones we have are very durable. They're, we reuse them a lot. Uh, and um, 
Uh, first, we, we, uh, we plant them in our soil media. Uh, we soak the seeds and then overlay it with plastic until they germinate. Uh, and then uh, once they're, they're up maybe um, an inch or so, uh, we pull them out from under the plastic and, and put them under lights. Uh, we also have uh, crops that we put into flat trays. Uh, those are typically our sunflowers and peas and uh, seeds. and the, the larger seeds. Uh, we soak the seeds, we put them on the soil in trays, we stack the trays and put a little weight on them. And then uh, once they're starting to push up good, we, we unstack those and, and put those under lights as well. Uh, the plug trays are, are nice for watering. We, we have a... a, a a bin that we just dip the trays into. There's holes in the bottoms of the of the cells, and that's how we water those those plug trays. And the flat trays we we top water. Some of the flat tray crops are put under lights, and some are not. Like the popcorn shoots stay in the dark. The whole yeah, there there's one crop that we keep in the dark, uh, and that's the uh, popcorn shoots. Somehow they like those to be a pale color instead of instead of green. Question. Um, we grow ours indoors because we can provide a consistent environment. Where we are in northern Michigan, uh, when we moved up there, they told us that summer was three days of poor sledding. So, um, and then someone else told us, yeah, last year summer was on Tuesday, on a Tuesday. So, um, that's, we, we just keep them inside. We can keep a a steady environment, and as I mentioned, in this new garage, we added five large windows on the south side. That seems to really help the sunflowers uh, produce really well, especially in the summer. So um, natural light is, is fine and, and good. We did start our first year with a greenhouse, and um, we <clears throat> abandoned that idea. So we'll, we'll talk about that um, a, a little later. Okay, so this section is about growing microgreens to sell, this section that we're going to cover here. You can do this even if you need a very flexible schedule. If you don't have a lot of money to invest, maybe you don't have a lot of space to grow, um, maybe you hate weeding and you don't have a greenhouse. You can do it if you have small children, um, if you're doing elder care, um, and you're not available for full-time work, which means it can work around a lot of different people's schedules. We want to look, though, if you want to grow them for profit, it's very important to look at market considerations. You have to have a place to sell them. We'll tell you a little bit about the market that we are growing in. Um, up, we have a large population center that's about 35 miles from our farm, and there's enough interest for us to have a market for our product. There's probably 75,000 people that live in that county, <clears throat> and about uh, 40,000 of those are in the kind of more urban area. It's not really city up there, but it's a little bit more population dense. Um, we have a good proportion of upper and middle class people. Um, there's a local community college, and there's a lot of interest in environmentally friendly, organic, and local produce. We have a, quite a few farmers markets in the area, and there's not a lot of competition for quality microgreens. When we started doing microgreens, <clears throat> I only had one potential customer, but I did find that potential customer before I bought any equipment or started doing anything. And that potential customer was an organic store that had a nice produce section. And at that time, they did not have a microgreen supplier. They had had one for a period before, but didn't have one at the time that I talked to them. So they said that if the price was right and the quality was good, they were interested in carrying microgreens. So that was the only real customer I had in hand when I started. As I started canvassing businesses and restaurants in the area, I found that there was another microgreen supplier that I hadn't known about, but people complained a lot about the quality. The biggest complaint was that it was not consistent in size and quality. When people order microgreens, they want to see the same thing from week to week. It's only possible to do that if your growing conditions are fairly constant and you grow on a very strict schedule. 
because just two or three days difference in age makes a big difference in the size and the flavor of your microgreens. So that's the main reason why we went away from the greenhouse to the garage, because we found if you had a couple of really cool nights, it slowed the microgreens down enough so that at harvest day, because we have to have a, a specific day to deliver every week, then they might be too small one week if we had a few cool nights. <clears throat> or if we had some really hot days with warm nights, they might overgrow by the time it was, you know, we wanted to harvest. And so we found that was a real problem. Yeah, our local health food store really does a, a real booming business in the area. So they turn over a lot of produce. Um, some other characteristics of our market. Um, where it's a foodie town, so it's really known for its restaurants. It has several hundred restaurants. And so people come from all over the United States, sometimes for the food and wines in our area. It's a big wine-growing area. And often um, breweries are really good customers. And so I'm always happy to sell something actually healthy to a brewery. Um, but they, can, they have the profit because margins. They, because they have food as well in these yeah. places. So. And they have good profit margins. They can afford microgreens more than a lot of other restaurants can. So these are some of the things you see about our market area. Okay, so um, we are a very small business. This is a, a part-time enterprise for us. Uh, it's not our main source of income. Uh, we're, so we're considered a micro-enterprise with less than six employees. Um, our, our labor input is about 25 to 30 hours a week. Um, and we have had a variable amount of of uh, hired labor uh, over the years we've been doing this, and we'll we'll cover that more um, in a graph that we have later on here. Um, our growing space was 192 square feet in the last place. Now we have 469 square feet, so it's a little more um, it's a little less constricted. <clears throat> we can walk past each other when we're we're working in the area and so forth. So um, we uh, we harvest about. 12 to 18 pounds a week, and um, our net revenue is about 50% uh, of our gross. Um, that is before taxes and so forth. The yield varies quite a bit because we have a lot of seasonal variation. Traverse City is a real big tourist town, and so the population doubles or triples in the summertime. Okay, so um, we're going to give you a little idea of what the income is uh, for our size of an operation. Um, you know, obviously, if we were doing this full-time for our main source of income, we could put more time into it. We'd probably make some different improvements, do some more marketing, and so forth. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say uh, there, there are some really large microgreen businesses out there. We're just serving our local market and that seems to be the easiest way for us to do what we need to do. So um, I'll just explain this graph here. We have um, the top line is our is our uh, gross income or our revenue. That that's our sales figure. Uh, the black. Let me start with the uh, the green line. The green line is our is our net. Okay. Uh, the the blue line at the bottom is what we pay out in in hired labor, and then the black line in the middle is the sum of the bottom two, which gives you an idea of what it would be if what we would be receiving if we did it all ourselves and weren't weren't hiring any labor that way, and and you can see in the last year between. 2015 and 2016, these two were inverted. Uh, most of our uh, net revenue is going to labor, and uh, we're collecting very uh, little for ourselves at this at this point in time. Um, will we continue doing this uh, if Lucia stays working full time? Uh, we're going to have to evaluate that uh, over time. There are some tax benefits to it um, in, in terms of, of some things that we can cover with the business. But um, right now, we're, we're gaining very little of it 
for ourselves. And I think this is instructive for someone planning to do this and to, and to uh, you know, try to sell microgreens because this tells you that the way you're going to make money at it is by really doing it your, yourselves and not, and not hiring out the labor. Okay, well, this, I don't know, can you see these numbers in the back? Okay, this, is, uh, this line is 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, and, and 40,000 at the, at the top. So that'll help you um, figure out the graph. And then our first year was 2013, 2014, 15, and then, then 16. So you, you're saying if you would have hired, you would have been making about 19, 20,000. Yeah, exactly. Um, last year was uh, like 22, and this year would have been, or 2016, about 19. And and I might mention that that's before, that doesn't, inc that excludes our electricity costs because we're not able to meter those separately yet. We're working on that. We should be able to meter our electricity separately uh, very soon. That's probably $100 a month, I don't know. We're going to all LED bulbs, which is going to save us a lot of money in electrical costs. And the microgreens seem to be doing even better with the LED bulbs than with the fluorescence that we've had. So, um, and, and why don't you back it up just a second. So it also excludes infrastructure, uh, infrastructure costs. This, this excludes infrastructure costs. Um, and the reason why I've done it that way is because um, that would really skew the, the numbers. And what we're looking at is, is our long-term revenue. I, that's, that's what to me is, is interesting, is to think about it on a long-term basis. So um, right now we're paying them $9.50 an hour. And we are covering them with workers' comp uh, insurance as well which is a little bit of a challenge. That's, that's expensive. But I really, actually, um, the way I work it is um, I have another business, and um, the employees are really employees of my other business, and the farm reimburses uh, my other business for, for those costs. So This is our um, availability list. This is what produce managers want to see when you go to sell your product. It has the types of microgreens that we have available. We have mixes. We have some straight varieties. For example, we have a green immune boost mix, which is mostly brassicas. That's like things like broccoli, kale, um, kohlrabi, arugula are in that mix. We have an organic rainbow mix. Um, as kind of an artisan mix. We do that mix by hand after the greens are grown. They're not grown together. They're mixed together at harvest. And it's a beautiful. I, am, I think we have some pictures later on. Um, that might show that. Um, and then we have organic Asian greens, which are a mixture of pak choy, tatsoi, and mizuna. And then we have different pack sizes. We sell in one ounce clams with a hang tab. We also sell in a 24 ounce clam shell, which is about three cups of microgreens. And we sell bulk um, to some of our restaurants. The bulk is a gallon Ziploc bag that holds a half a pound. So those are the three sizes that we use for sales. Um, <clears throat> the clamshells go to um, all the grocery stores, and they go to some restaurants if they're ordering smaller amounts. And that, that middle size, we pack 1.9 ounces of, of microgreens into. Yeah, the three-cup clamshell is only 1.9 ounces. The herb clamshell is a one-ounce. Um, we also have uh, radishes, uh, mustard, pea shoots, sunflower greens, basils, um, and we have grown cilantro. It's a big pain, so we don't like put it on our availability sheet right now because the labor involved in cleaning it is just not worth it. Um, if I find a better way to do it, I'm, I might go back, but I mean the herb cilantro. Yeah. Um, you have to pull the seed hull off. They don't drop. Yeah, they don't drop their hulls till they're I don't know four or five weeks along, which is a little bit too big. So at the time when you need to harvest them, you kind of have to pick almost all the hulls off, and that's just a big. We had thing. a question over here. 
Yes. Yeah. So where do you get your clamshells and labeling? Okay. Um, we have, yeah, we get our clamshells, um, our supplies from some different wholesalers, and the... We have, I have a sheet, a resource sheet, that's uploaded to the Ad Ag website. You should be able to download it. I gave it to them this morning, so it should show up anytime today. And that has the details on our suppliers. Um, we labels. get uh, labels. We print ourselves. We have a color laser printer, and so we print our own labels. Um, we get clamshells, the larger ones from Worldwide Plastics. We get the smaller ones from... Um, Monty Plastics in, in, Michigan. in Michigan. A clamshell is those plastic containers that snap together, snap closed, like you get at the grocery store. Yeah, that's what a clamshell is. You don't need any kind of special seed for microgreens. Like some places have like a section in the seed catalog that say microgreens. You don't have to buy them there. Um, it's just the kind of, it's just what species you want to grow, what crop you want to grow. We are a certified organic um, operation so we have to buy organic seed organic seed is about twice the cost of standard seed um, on our resource sheet you will see our main seed suppliers we get seeds from mums in canada they're an excellent price they don't charge shipping if you buy more than fifty dollars worth at a pound at a time which is really easy to do um, we get some seeds out of California, Corona seeds. We get a few that we can't get anywhere else at High Mowing. High Mowing has good seeds, but they're more expensive. Um, and, they're, and Johnny's seeds for some varieties that we can't find other places because Johnny's is also on the higher end. There is a supplier on your sheet called Todd's Seeds. They're out of Michigan. And they tell me that they buy organic seed, but they're not certified as a repackager, so they can't label their seed organic, which makes it quite a bit cheaper. I can't use it for my operation unless I can't find that variety organically, but um, that would maybe be a good source for some of you that don't need to be certified, but you want some non-GMO seed. Oh, how much do we sell the sizes for? That's on the availability sheet as well. You will see that, um, let me go back to our main crops over here. Um, like the green immune boost, which is a brassica mix, and that's probably one of the simplest ones to grow. Um, one ounce clamshell is $3.75. This is pricing for restaurants, so this is our retail pricing. Um, grocery stores get a wholesale price, which is usually 20 to 30% less because they need to mark it up. Um, we sell um, the eight ounce, oh, the 1.9 ounce clamshell for $7.10. The eight ounce bulk bag is about $20. The rainbow mix is our premium mix. That one goes for, um, for $28 a half pound. That's a half pound, but if they buy more than three bags, then we give them a cut. Hulls is the outer hard part of your seed. Um, different seedlings have different styles of growing. Um, the brassicas, which are the things like in the cabbage family, it's a little round seed and it falls off very early in the germination process. And if it doesn't fall off, it's a very soft seed. You don't notice it like if you chew on it. Okay, so it's not an issue. Um, cilantro has a very hard, round seed, like a BB. And it splits when it germinates, but the split seed hangs onto one of the leaves as the leaves come up. And so um, as you look at a tray, it's got all these little brown hulls hanging onto the tips of the new little leaves. And those hulls are actually what is ground for coriander. So you know it has a very different flavor from cilantro green. And, um, and those are not as pleasant to chew on. Most people don't appreciate that in a salad or a wrap. So we have to take those off. Um, oh, here's a picture of the rainbow mix. This is the one we mix by hand. It's one of my favorites. It's just gorgeous and it's very tasty. And um, this is one that a lot of chefs like. Um, when we talk about restaurants that we sell to, you're looking at high-end restaurants. You don't go to places that have cheap lunches. Okay, they're not going to buy your microgreens. Um, we go, yeah, some of our biggest buyers have been like a, an exclusive restaurant that imports steak from Japan, $200 for a couple. Okay, and they bought thousands of dollars of microgreens over one summer. Um, 
And so, you know, they have that kind of budget. So you have to um, kind of pick your restaurants. But um, one thing we want to say about restaurants is you establish a relationship with the chef. But there seems to be a lot of turnover with chefs at restaurants. So um, thing, your, your customer base can change quickly if you're, if you're working with restaurants. Yeah, it is a little less predictable over the long term. They change menus every few months. Every time they change a menu, they may decide they don't want microgreens on the next menu when they were buying, you know, two, three pounds a week from you before. Um, uh, a chef leaves and a new chef comes in who don't, doesn't know anything about microgreens and doesn't care. And then you lost that customer. Um, but if you have kind of, a, you know, a number of restaurants, you're not going to have as much trouble because they'll usually... You know, you can just keep kind of shuffling. Our approach to marketing. Um, what we did when we got started was um, we found the local health food store. Then we did a lot of cold calling. I just got on the phone and I just called restaurants. I tried to find either the executive chef or the restaurant manager, whoever has the buying decision power in the, in the, in the business. And it's not the same for everyone. And then we would try to make an appointment where we could drop off a sample. And I'd take a little sampler that might have two or three different kinds of microgreens, try to find a time when the chef is there, and go in and take your sample. They usually want to taste it right on the spot. Um, and, and then they might put it in the refrigerator because they'll want to know how long it lasts. And last, how long it lasts is very, very important. And your growing techniques have a lot of impact on how long your microgreens stay fresh. Our peas are good for three to four weeks. Um, some of the other microgreens in the market um, are not good more than about a week and a half. So, you know, it depends. And some microgreens are more fragile than others. Basil is very fragile. It has to be kept at a specific temperature. And we found that some grocery stores, their fridges simply were not the appropriate temperature for basil, and they could not keep them even a week. And so we couldn't sell them there because it just looked awful on the shelf. Whereas we sell to restaurants that have our basil for sometimes two weeks, and it still looks good. But, <clears throat> but the restaurants are careful. They put our basil in a styrofoam case inside their big walk-in refrigerator so it's not quite as cold as some of the other shelving. So... Um, we deliver samples and we deliver, um, okay, a schedule for ordering so that they know we want it, like, we need growing time because we only grow to order. It's really hard to have wastage with microgreens. You really don't want that. I mean, we eat our surplus, but there's only so much you can eat. You don't want a whole lot of that. So um, they have to um, order, like, two or three weeks ahead of when they want it, and they have to give us two to three weeks notice when they want to change their order so that we're not left with huge amounts because somebody changed their mind about what they want. And because we grow to order, we have, um, we calculate based on our standing orders what our amount is to plant every week. Um, we haven't explored farmer's markets in our area. There are some people that sell microgreens at our farmer's markets, but a lot of ours are on Sabbath. Or we find they took a lot of time out of the house, and the whole reason I was doing this is because I couldn't leave the house. So that didn't work for us. That was another question? Well, it was about the farmer's market. Because if you grow to order and then you go to the farmer's market and you don't sell them, then you're stuck with... Yes, the question was going to farmer's markets, for instance, with your surplus, you could end up with still having surplus if you don't sell it. Um, that is an issue if you're not growing to order. And that was my, my question. Thank you, Michelle, for setting it up. When you have surplus, can't eat it right away. You can't give it away. What can you do with it so it doesn't go to waste? Can I juice it up and keep it in the fridge? Can I um, freeze it? Can I, um, freeze it? Can I, how would I, but if you don't eat so much smoothies in a short period of time, how can you keep it? I can put a lot of sunflowers in a single smoothie. Um, so smoothies is really a great way to use surplus because you can use a lot that way. But what we often do is take it to church and potluck. And our church members love it. And, um, and then we share, as we have once a month, we have our community come in for a church potluck, and we often have surplus microgreens. We just share it with them, and they love that. Once, once in a while, we'll call a customer and see if they'll take some extra okay. in special circumstances. Okay, so how long does the microgreen last in your refrigerator? Usually a good 10 to, 10 to 14 days. And, and more sometimes. Sometimes. Sunflowers. 
Sunflowers, um, I'm not sure about that. I think that might squeeze them too much. They need air. Um, in fact, when we pack them, you always pack them with a paper towel to absorb extra moisture because the real key to keeping microgreens long is keeping them dry. If they get moisture, they'll start rotting right away. Part of it is how you grow them. Like, I don't think hydroponically grown microgreens last as long as soil-grown microgreens. And, um, and I know that different growers don't seem to have as much um, fridge time as ours do. We get a lot of comments from our chefs that they really like our greens because they last long. I had a chef call me two weeks ago, and he was like, you know, we're not using our microgreens as fast as we thought. They're piling up in the fridge. I've got like three weeks' worth, but obviously they were still good. So, you know, that's, that's a, something to keep in mind. Um, here's a picture of the greenhouse that we started with. We'll let Lucia rest her voice here. Um, we, we started with a greenhouse, one that I built. Uh, very, very simple, but very effective. We had shelves on the left side there and a, and a bench on the right. Uh, I think it was 8 by 20. Um, but uh, we, we found that our, our summer is short, and uh, we have some large temperature variations in the summer. We could have real cool nights and um, then, then days that are really warm. So um, we, had, we had problems with consistency in, in, the, in the time it took to mature the microgreens. We had, we had inconsistency in, in, the, in the size and, and uh, those types of things. So um, we actually, after the first winter, we didn't go back to the to the greenhouse with our with our operation. One of the other issues was you can't control the humidity in a greenhouse very well, and at harvest you need your microgreens dry to cut them. And I had a very difficult time getting my microgreens dry enough for them to really last like they should and get them cool. So I would like set up fans even in the greenhouse and fan everything all day long as I'm trying to cut. And sometimes the humidity level is just too high. And so then you start getting the microgreens, the stems sticking together in the bags, and that's, that's too damp. Yeah, the, the microgreens are grown quite densely in the, in the tray. So um, you gotta watch the humidity uh, very carefully. Uh, we maintain that I'm, I'm gonna we're gonna hold the questions till the end so we get through the material here. Um, we uh, maintain a temperature about 70 degrees plus or minus a, a few degrees. Uh, we run fans and open windows when possible. Uh, we try to just keep the humidity uh, kind of stable, not not too high. And recently we've added a dehumidifier and a window air conditioner uh, for just. We don't get a lot of real hot days uh, in the summer where we are, but for a few days, um, it's helpful to be able to turn that air conditioner on and, and run it. So, um, what are what are your infrastructure, your basic infrastructure requirements? And this this comes out of our experience. Uh, you need a well insulated space. You need temperature control. You need humidity control. You need ventilation. Um, you, you might have a time where your temperature is good, your humidity is good, but if you have your, your windows all closed up and you walk into that space, the air just doesn't smell fresh. And, and uh, I, I think the plants do better. Uh, in the, even in the winter, we'll leave a window open, a couple windows open a little bit. Um, even in the coldest weather, just to keep some, some fresh air uh, going in there. Um, we already talked about lights. We, um, we, we have five shelf uh, units. They're uh, 48 inches wide and 18 inches deep, which is, which is a little narrow for the 20-inch trays, but we, we cut cardboards um, 20 by 44 and put them on those shelves and then we can get four trays on a shelf, and uh, we hang the lights from the shelf above. So, so I'll, in that five shelf unit, we've got uh, four shelves that have that have lights, and we put two double bulb fixtures for each shelf. Um, you need a source of water. You need a decent electrical system. 
Uh, in our operation, we've got a lot of bulbs if you add it all up. It's, it's a lot. Um, and then, of course, you need some, some management, uh, accounting, of course, planting schedule, harvest schedule, ability to prepare invoices, and so forth. I want to talk just a couple minutes about Microgreen Academy. Um, we've worked with people that wanted to learn how to grow their own microgreens. And we found that there's really not a lot of resources out on the market that take you through the process step by step, from planning to implementation to marketing to harvest, all of that. And we had to learn a lot of what we've learned through trial and error. That's the reason we've decided to start Market Green Academy, which is a way for us to share with others what we have learned. Um, Microgreen Academy can help you if you want to grow microgreens for yourself. Because um, we'll, you can get instruction on how to do it step by step, learn how to apply each step to the growing cycle, from planting to harvest. You can get resources to help you integrate it into your homeschooling program, um, and also gain resources, um, access to resources as we continue to develop them and make them available, as well as getting lots of ideas and re recipes for new ways to use what you grow. If you want to start growing commercially, Microgreen Academy is developed to save time and money by giving you step-by-step -step guidance that covers these different areas, like market research, the setup process, needed equipment, tools, and supplies, resources on suppliers and vendors, um, variety-specific guidance. We found that there's quite a bit of variation in the requirements of different kinds of microgreens, and it really helps if you know what are the, the special things, the little idiosyncrasies of the different varieties. Um, We've been through the certification process. We're willing to help pe mentor people through that process um, if that's something that you need in your particular market, as well as helping with troubleshooting just based on the experience that we've had. Um, growing to order takes um, some extra special resources that you don't need if you're just growing for yourself. Um, for example, order quantities can vary from week to week. Uh, different crops have a different length of time for growing. For us to do our rainbow mix every week, we have to consider when to plant the different components of the mix because they don't all grow at the same rate. So to make sure you have the right amount of microgreen at harvest every week for what your orders are gets pretty complex. Um, when we first started, I spent hours and hours every week just trying to calculate how much to plant every week to have it ready for when our orders were. Um, so all of those uh, considerations, I have my own personal spreadsheet guru right here. As an engineer, he's an expert at using spreadsheets, and he developed what we call our microgreen automation spreadsheet that allows us to input our orders, and it figures everything else out for us, and I just love that. Um, and we also work our schedule to try to minimize what we have to do on Sabbath. Usually it's just a little watering in the evening. Okay, um, this is the uh, automation spreadsheet, and... Um, uh, I've set this uh, spreadsheet up with several worksheets. We have, we have one worksheet for every customer, okay? And so um, we have all the dates of the year in that worksheet, and so we can insert into there what their, what their orders are on a week-by-week on a -week basis, okay? And then, and then there is a worksheet that does a summary of... of all of those puts it all together for all our customers, and um, and then that from there um, we have we have uh, we have a another worksheet which which gives you the the what each customer's order is in a in a tabular format in a table format. And, uh, and then the last worksheet on that is a planting schedule, which takes into consideration the yield for each, uh, the yield for each crop, how, how many grams you can get per tray. It takes into consideration the length of time it takes to grow all the components of, of, your, of your various um, products that you sell. And um, it, it tells you when to plant and how much to plant. So um, this is something, as Lucia mentioned, she was spending four or five hours a week figuring out when to plant and how much to plant. And this, this just takes it down to a few minutes every, every week, just maintaining this. And once in a while, she'll shoot it over to me by email, and she'll say, Jim, I have a problem here, or, or uh, you know, we need, to, we need to set this up for the new year or whatever, and um, I'll spend, I don't know, a half hour or, or something working on it, but... 
Um, anyway, this is this has just been very helpful if you're going to do this commercially um, to have something like this. Um, good record keeping is really important whether or not you're certified, but we've developed a lot of records that help us to do this easily. <clears throat> um, we keep track of all of these different things that you see on here. And if people are wondering how much it costs, we, we go through certification through CCOF. Um, they usually do inspections on a yearly basis. Uh, depending on how many farms the inspector sees on his trip, they divvy up the inspector's charge so that we don't get charged for the full amount. Um, there are government grants that help you, um, depending on the state that you're in, um, that for us, it covers about 75% of our inspection cost. So up to $1,000. And so that's, we've generally been able to get the full amount. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, if you, anybody's interested in some of the resources we have to offer, we do have a booth. Just come by, sign up, and uh, you can sign up for our mailing list for free, and you'll know as soon as we have more uh, and newer resources available. This is our um, website and our email. So these are ways you can contact us, probably the best ways. And we will take uh, questions for the next like three minutes, I think I still have. Yes, you had one earlier. You mentioned that um, you're using grow lights or whatever. Is it grow lights or LED lights? Or we just use standard LED lights. They're not specific full spectrum grow lights. They're the cheaper ones. If you had your things on wheels and you had like a big door, you could just roll them out onto a sunny patio area? Yes, can you? Okay, the question is if you have a big sunny area, can you put your growing tray? growing shelves on wheels and wheel them out um, during the sunny Yes, that's an excellent idea, especially if you're in a breezy place and you get lots of good air circulation, that can be excellent. I know some really big um, microgreen growers that do that, even up in Canada. So I think that's a great idea. Yes, question? How many hours of light, natural, or... Oh, okay. And then how far above the plant? Okay, the question is how many hours of light and how far are the lights from the plants? We do about 11 to 12 hours of light every day, and the lights are average of six inches above, the, four inches above the, the plant, maybe six inches above the tray. Question. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, the website is www.paradiseacres.farm. That's paradiseacres.farm. Our email is PA for Paradise Acres, PAFarm77 at gmail.com. Thank you. Have you used growing pads? No, I've not used growing pads. We prefer to grow in soil. I think it's better for the plant myself, and I think the plants are more nutritious when you do that. Question? Oh, yeah, there was a question about what kind of soil. We didn't talk about that. Our soil only has three components. It has coconut core, a fine coconut core, has rice hulls, and then it has a veganic powdered fertilizer, 711. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.